the underdog the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world my name is hannah grant and i'm the administrative assistant and social outreach director at the animal law firm i will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder christina bergson in order to create more content for our lovely viewers as i interviewed these amazing people i was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Taj Opal, the president of UC Berkeley's Animal Legal Defense Fund. Taj is involved in multiple animal welfare groups, including Direct Action Everywhere, the Sierra, Legal Impact for Chickens, as well as being involved in a variety of current animal welfare cases. I'm super excited to have him on as a guest today to discuss all of his work. So thanks for being our guest today, Taj. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. Of course. Well, we can just dive right in then. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in animal welfare? Yeah, for sure. So my background is like I'm a KJD. That's someone who came straight from undergrad to law school. Um, The way I got into law school was like more chance, I'd say. I was an undergraduate student who didn't know what he wanted to do with his life and also somebody who had parents who really pressured him to be in some kind of high status career so in a lot of ways I think coming to law school was like the like path of least resistance for me and I kind of fell into it as for how I got into the animal welfare side of things that's just really because when I was in college I started learning more and more about how our food is produced and yeah, the more I learned, the more heartbreaking it was. And yeah, today I'm at the point that I just feel really called to try and end animal farming and totally change our system of producing food so that animals are no longer exploited. Yeah. Okay, great. Can you tell us just for people who might be interested what um, your undergrad major was and then where you went to law school? Yeah, for sure. Yes, I didn't mention that. So I went to Arizona State and I did mechanical engineering there. Also did mechanical engineering because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And that was something that my parents approved of. And then ended up here at UC Berkeley for law school. Um, And yeah, I came to Berkeley just because I kind of had this dream of Berkeley being like this radical place where people are involved in all of this like activism and resistance and fighting power. And yeah, I found out that that dream has not been, it hasn't totally panned out since I've been here, but yeah, I do love Berkeley. We can get into that later if you want. Okay, sounds good. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the ALDF at UC Berkeley specifically? Yeah, for sure. So our student ALDF chapter was totally inactive when I came into law school. I was like, so I was a one and I was looking around for the animal groups. And technically on our website, we had a group that said the Student Animal Legal Defense Fund. But I think what happened was the person who ran it, they, yeah, they didn't really do much of anything with it. And so I emailed them a whole bunch of times. I was like, yo, what's going on with this organization? Do you guys ever do anything? And eventually they were just like, yo, you can take over the organization if you want to. 
And so I did that at the very end of my 1L year. And since then, I've really been trying to build it up, which has been a struggle for me. Um, I honestly, I feel like I'm the only one at UC Berkeley who has like a very strong commitment to animal, to animal law. Like there's other people who are interested in it for sure, but I haven't found anyone who's like, this is my thing. This is what I want to do with my life and my career. And so, yeah, I've really just been trying to like build up this organization, try and make other students interested in it, make other students see it as a potential career path and have been hosting like a handful of events, but yeah, I've been, I've been struggling with it. Honestly, it's been hard to get it off the ground and to create an actual community of law students who, who care about animals. Definitely. I think animal law is just such a new field. It's it's hard to form those groups kind of from nothing. So I admire your effort and and trying to build it up more. I think that's really cool. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, what do you what would you say the purpose of the ALDF is at UC Berkeley and, and how do you see it evolving in the future? Yeah, so at least the parent organization ALDF, I know their mission statement is to advance the interests of animals in through the legal system and yeah that's just like a very broad general purpose like can we change the animals status under the law from something further from property and closer to persons can we get some like policy decisions that protect animals further all that sort of stuff but honestly for me at uc berkeley the purpose of the aldf is just to get students aware of animal issues and aware of animal law as a potential career path. And so I've been hosting events like, what's it like to work in a slaughterhouse? Or like, what will future generations think of factory farming? A lot of issues, honestly, that, that center morality and social justice more than they center the law. And that's just the way that I've, I've driven the club, I would say, because those are those are my primary interests, I guess. And that's what makes me feel so passionate about this issue or like the moral and social problems rather than the like more technical legal issues. And so, yeah, I've really just been trying to pique that passion in like my friends and the students around me while also like sometimes tying in the law into that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a great strategy just because before people can care about all the technicalities of the law, they have to care about the purpose first. So I honestly think that's a really good strategy for, for getting people to care about it. So. For sure. Well, how can students find these events and get involved? They can find us on our website. If you just search Student Animal Legal Defense Fund, Berkeley Law, we have a CalLink page, which is just Berkeley Berkeley's website where all the student organizations are and then you can find my email you can reach out to me there um and yeah it's really like for Berkeley students it's pretty easy like whenever we host events we'll put them on our event calendar we'll post flyers and yeah people can always reach out to me yeah okay great thanks for that um, can I kind of want to shift the focus a little bit to to talk about some of the work you do and some of the other organizations you're involved with as well. Um, so kind of what are you hoping for the future of your career and, and what are you hoping to accomplish? 
Yeah, I kind of touched on this earlier, but I definitely have big dreams. Like, I I desperately hope and intend to see the end of animal farming. Um, I think it's wrong that we rely on other sentient beings to produce the food that we eat. Um, and if we were to truly consider their interests, then I, w- I think we like quickly realize that from the perspective, it's quite awful what we do to them each and every day. I want to see the end of all other institutionalized forms of animal exploitation. So that means no more fishing boats, no more slaughterhouses. That means no more laboratories where we experiment on animals, no more fur farms, none of, no more circuses and zoos that exploit animals in these ways. So I really do want to see some sort of animal rights revolution in my lifetime. And I, I intend to make that happen. Um, how exactly I'm still figuring it out and how my particular career fits into that. (laughs) Also something I'm still figuring out, but to be honest, like I've always felt more like an activist more than a lawyer or like more than an academic. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. my, My calling has always been community organizing and yeah, just like pushing the needle from the outside. And yeah, that's my passion. That's what, that's what I want to see in my life. Okay, great. Do you want to talk about um, some of your work with Direct Action Everywhere or and some cases that um, you've been involved with that had a large impact on you? Yeah, for sure. So Direct Action Everywhere is a network of animal rights activists and like they're most well known for doing this tactic called Open Rescue. And Open Rescue is when animal rights activists will enter a place where animals are being exploited, typically a factory farm. And what they'll do is they'll take the animal out, they'll give them veterinary care and take them to a sanctuary so that they can happily live out the rest of their lives. And importantly, they do all of this with full transparency. So they're not hiding their faces. They go in there, they're often recording themselves. They post this on the internet and social media. And as a result of that transparency, often the state comes after them because, well, you just trespassed onto a private property and you also like stole something like the property of the industry, meaning the animal that you rescue. And so the most impactful case I've been involved with in my time at Direct Action Everywhere has been the Smithfield trial, where there was an open rescue conducted at the largest pig factory farm in America. It was over in Utah. And yeah, there's just like this massive industrial pig farm complex. It takes like, I think 30 minutes to drive from one end to the other. And I think they they farm over like a million pigs every single year just at this one spot. And the activists went in there um, to the place it's like the gestation facility, I believe. Or no, it's actually called the fairing facility. So this is the spot where all the pigs, where the mothers have all their baby pigs that were just born and all the piglets are nursing from the mothers. And it's just real crowded in there. There's a lot of sickness, a lot of death. And it's just, yeah, it's very awful. And so the these activists took two of the piglets who looked the sickest. They took them out. 
um, gave them veterinary care and took them to a sanctuary. And so, yeah, I was like very involved in that trial from the beginning. Um, I was helping write some of the motions and helping prepare witnesses. Um, I went to the trial and was also doing a little bit of legal research there on the fly. We did research on the jurors to see who would be best to select. And yeah, it was it was a really impactful case for me because what happened in the end is that the defendants who rescued these animals were acquitted by a jury. And that was just super powerful to see. It, it was a form of jury nullification, really, because, I mean, the defense's strategy wasn't the typical defense strategy. It was like, hey, I didn't do this. Rather, it was, yes, I did do this, but I did the right thing. And in the end, the jury agreed. And that was really powerful to see. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I know I've actually talked to Amira Tanner, the lead organizer at Direct Action Everywhere, a little bit about that case. So I just think it's it's really impactful. And everyone who's listening should also go check out that podcast because it was really cool. Um, so, yeah, I can see how it would definitely have a large impact on you because I know it had a large impact on me as well. So obviously you've had a lot of experience since you've been at law school and kind of on this journey so what is one thing you wish you had known when you began working in animal law? Mm. Sorry, just give me a second to think about no, this. No, no worries. Take all the time you need. Okay. Yeah, one thing I wish I had known earlier was how... Um, sorry, I'm deciding between two things right now. No worries. Um, you can yeah, talk can... about both if you want to. Okay. Do you want me to ask the question again? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, of course. So what is one thing that you wish you had known when you began working in animal law? Yeah, one thing I wish I had known earlier was honestly like, what is the nature of legal work? And to be honest, I'm someone who's not super passionate about doing all the technical legal research and writing. And that is something I often think about, um, whether I'm in the right field and yeah, what, like, what I, does this fit, like, my passions and, like, what I want to be doing exactly? Does this fit my skill set? And, yeah, again, like, the way I came into law school was by falling into it. And so I often question um, whether the work that I'm doing, like, matches my skill set and what I'm interested in working on. And then the second thing that I wish I'd known is how tied up the factory farm industry is with the whole government and prosecutorial complexes. And what, what I mean by that is kind of similar to the fossil fuel industry. Well, the animal agriculture industry also has like very strong influence over the legislature and they're able to influence what laws are passed, what laws are not passed. Um, they fund a lot of the campaigns for the representatives in Congress. And when it comes to prosecutors also, like these prosecutors are often very reluctant to bring charges against like these massive corporations that are systematically committing animal cruelty. And I wish that was something I had understood earlier because I feel like that knowledge of 
government corruption, it, it kind of like changes the strategy. And I think that does require somewhat more of like an outside game strategy, because if the system itself isn't working to protect animals, then yeah, we have to push the system to do that. Mm -hmm. How did you come about kind of learning that and how do you encourage others to go and learn more about it? Yeah, I learned that by working at Direct Action Everywhere. So Direct Action Everywhere has been doing investigations for decades now, or one decade now. And in California, for example, there was a proposition passed saying that there has to be a certain minimum space for hens and chickens in the factory farms. And Direct Action Everywhere did a bunch of investigations showing that that was in violation and they sent evidence of those violations to, I believe, over 100 prosecutors. And none of the prosecutors took action against these factory farms. So that that was very telling. And then also in the Smithfield case, it was very telling because literally, like, of course, there's the fact that prosecutors were going after people who are rescuing animals instead of corporations that were torturing them. On top of that, the FBI actually got involved in that case, too. And the FBI decided to investigate these two activists who had rescued these baby piglets. And it, it just like kind of exposed like the whole absurdity of this system to me and how much how hard the government is working to uphold these powerful interests. So mm -hmm. that's how I got to know about it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes it just takes that exposure to to kind of see what's actually going on. Yeah. Well, obviously, there's there's a lot of people that are looking into the animal law field now since it is such a new field. Do you have any advice for others that are interested? Um, yeah, just kind of general advice. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, I, I'm still a law student and trying to find my own path. But I guess the biggest piece of advice for me is like, if you're trying to go into animal law, like really... <laughs> really like deeply contemplate it like um talk to people who are already in the practice ask them what their like daily life at the job is like um think about like are, are you interested in doing research writing and spending a lot of time at the desk doing that sort of work um yeah so I, i'd say like really really try and think about like is is the law like where you want to be? Because there are so many ways to advocate for animals outside of the legal space. That's just like one avenue for animal advocates to advocate. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's definitely yeah. A, a huge commitment. So definitely a big thing to consider. Well, obviously we only talked about a couple of the organizations you're, you're um, involved in and we can get more into that in a little bit, but where can people go to learn more about all these organizations and um, any cases you're looking at or interested in? For sure. Yeah. So I've talked a lot about direct action everywhere. I think best way to learn about them is again, just by Googling their name. Um, they also have, lots of media online, like press coverage they've received from New York Times, from The Intercept, from Vox, a lot of great articles there. Um, and if you live in the Bay Area, then you should just come out and meet us in person. We have meetups every single Saturday at 11 a.m. at our own Animal Rights Center. And so that's a great place to 
actually see these people face to face and see some of the activists who have like been the architects of this social change and movement strategy. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Okay, well, why don't we go ahead and take a little break here and we can come back and talk some more. Okay, sounds good. Hi, everybody. We're back with Taj Opal, the president of UC Berkeley's Animal Legal Defense Fund. And we're going to keep on talking about some of his experience in the animal law field. So in your opinion, what are some of the biggest current challenges in the animal law field? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges is what I've already mentioned. It's just the immense power and influence of the animal agriculture industry. They really have a grip on our legislatures and on our prosecutors. And so it's hard to get animal protection laws passed. And even when they are passed, it's difficult to enforce them because prosecutors are reluctant to go up against powerful interests. Um, another big current challenge in the animal law field, also a very big and broad one, but I say is just speciesism in general, or the idea that animal lives and animal interests are somehow less valid than those held by humans. And you can see how that sort of ideology is very much like percolated through our legal system for so long. I mean, just the idea that animal interests don't have access to the court of justice because animals are not considered to be, you know, individuals who have their own standing in the court of law, but often they're disregarded as pieces of property. Um, obviously, it's more complicated than that. And sometimes there are like times and places where animals have their interests represented in, through some roundabout way. But yeah, very much the legal system was designed for humans and not for animals. And so if I was going to name yeah, the biggest current challenges, yeah, it would be the power of the animal agriculture industry and speciesism itself. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a huge problem, as you said, like, I don't know, it's so hard to even think about, but how do you hope that things change in the future? Yeah, I also touched on this before. I mean, on a physical level, I want to see an end to all these industries that exist to exploit animals. Um, I think on maybe a more like psychological level, I want to see people to consider animals as if they are equals and to consider animals like, you know, their, their interests are just as valid as our own. Um, and I want to see our legal system change to reflect those values as well. So that, I don't know how this would work in practice because it, it would be incredibly complex and I don't know how to work out the kinks there, but yeah, I do want the legal system to be able to represent non-human animal interests. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, kind of involved in this is like so many people's opinions, so much information on the internet. And honestly, a lot of the times, a lot of misinformation. So what is one common misconception that people have about animal law? I think the biggest misconception is that animal law is kind of like this like fluffy idea and not a real career path. Um, yeah, I feel like that it's quite far from the truth that since my time being in law school, I've met a lot of really dedicated, really proficient animal lawyers who 
are doing very substantive things and fighting for animals every single day. And so, yeah, a lot of times, like I mentioned to people, like I want to be an animal lawyer. And not always, but like it, it's not too uncommon for me to get a response that's like either a laugh or like just like questioning like what I want to do or like how stable that career path is. And yeah, I will say that admittedly going into animal law may entail greater risks than going along a more established path. Like <clears throat> at Berkeley Law, it's pretty easy to just like follow the big law pipeline and work for one of these massive firms. But yeah, at the same time, animal law like is this career that's been expanding for, I'd say probably the last 40, 50 years here. And it's a legitimate career that a lot of people are already working in. Definitely. Yeah, I really hope that it can gain some credibility over time. And as as more cases get the kind of coverage um, that recent cases have received, I think I think it will. Yeah. And I'd, I'd also mention that, that, like, probably, like, one of the fields of law that receives the most press coverage is animal law, because it is so new and exciting all the time. And it does intersect with, like, this huge social and moral issue that our society continues to grapple with. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Well, this is kind of a more broad question, um, so you can kind of take it however, whichever direction you want. But what is one of the most important lessons that your career path has taught you so far? Okay, I'm going to take a second to think about this one also. Yeah, no worries. Okay. Okay, can you ask it one more time? Yeah, of course. What is one of the most important lessons that your career path has taught you so far? Yeah, I think the most important lesson I've learned has been to be authentic. And yeah, just to give an example of what I mean by that, I guess like when I first came into law school, I was afraid and somewhat embarrassed to be completely authentic about like who I am and what I stand for. Mostly with regards to animals, I feel like there is a pretty big stigma around animal rights just in the world generally and especially in the legal field that, you know, has this air of like being very like pompous sometimes or legitimate. Um, and so for someone to come in and, and like have this idea of like, I want to be an animal attorney. I want to fight for the pigs and chickens. Um, that's something I was afraid of saying. Um but yeah, in my time at law school, I've been here almost two years now. I've slowly gained that confidence to the point that like a big part of my identity at the law school is like, he's that animal rights guy. And that's something I'm very proud of. And yeah, sometimes I do get like some backlash to that. Like I was saying, I get people laughing at me occasionally or people questioning my decisions and yeah, how stable a career path it is, how legitimate my choices, but more than anything, I think like people see it and like they respect it because like I, I am doing something that that's different, something that's unique and people can see the passion and yeah, I just encourage everyone to follow their passions and yeah, be authentic in what they believe in. It's definitely been very rewarding for me and it's just, it's been a better life to live. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that animal law covers so many other branches of law as well that it's always so surprising to me the kind of 
lack of communication and collaboration between the different branches. And I think that that would be really cool to see improved in the future. Yeah, definitely. I was just taking an animal law class this semester. And yeah, it really does intersect with so many other types of law. You got environmental law and torts and contracts and administrative law and all that stuff is tied together. So yeah, it'd be great to see more collaboration. Absolutely. Well, I like to think that a lot of us are optimists despite all of the tragedy that we see. So I always like to ask this question. It's a bit cheesy, but do you have any tips for making the world a better place? Yeah. Um, quickly, I would just reiterate to be authentic. I think social change is oftentimes inspired by authenticity. And it's only by people speaking up for what they believe in earnestly and honestly um, that things are going to change. And so, yeah, being able to find your voice and say what you believe in is so deeply powerful. Um, another tip I have is to focus on people within your social network and to try and change their beliefs and behaviors. I think, like, when I first got into activism, I was mostly just, like, canvassing on the streets, talking to strangers, or, like, working on, like, these big campaigns that were on, like, the state or even national level. And I think all that stuff's important for sure. But, yeah, in the few years I've spent as an activist, I feel like the most impactful, meaningful work has been having conversations with the people who I know. Because they're the ones who are actually going to listen to me. They're the ones who actually have to be constantly challenged by me. And... I think that is how social change happens. It's by spreading like changes in social norms through our social networks. And so, yeah, I really encourage people to like have those conversations with their friends and family, like challenge them on their beliefs, do it empathically. Um, don't do it in a way that's like condescending and bring it up at the right times for sure. All this stuff is like important to be careful with it. But yeah, I, I think that's one of the most like meaningful, impactful things we can do as activists. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really a great advice. You can't change anything unless you talk about it. So yeah, super important. Yeah. And I'd also just briefly say, like, I know how scary that can be, because at least for me, like, the reason I wasn't talking to my friends and family is because I felt like I was risking something if I did that. Like, there's actually a relationship here at stake that I care a lot about. And so I'd be afraid of bringing up something that I'm so deeply passionate about. Um, and I feel like it took me a couple of years within the animal rights movement to like really gain that sort of like security in what I believed in and to be able to communicate it in an effective way. And so, yeah, I, I just encourage everyone to like experiment with, experiment with that with their friends and family and also recognize that like <laughs> sometimes you will say things you regret or like, you will be less than optimal, but yeah, it's still, yeah, it's still something that we should try and do. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I honestly, I feel like so many people feel the same way. So to hear you talk about that, I think is really impactful. Yeah. Well, kind of wrapping up a bit, what are some of the biggest things you're looking forward to in the future? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic with regards to animal rights that there will be some sort of social upheaval um i believe that 
the majority of people when they even see like 10 seconds of what happens inside of a factory farm or slaughterhouse the instant gut reaction is this is awful this is heartbreaking in fact it's so heartbreaking that we can't even stand to watch a video of what happens and so to me that that's a very clear indicator of how deeply each and every one of us cares about animals and I, I believe like that core value that each of us has empathy for non-humans like we just have to tap into that as activists and yeah I believe we'll be able to so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a better world for animals yeah absolutely me too I'm really excited to to see all the work you do and to see the progress in the field I think is going to be really exciting well what is the best way for our listeners to get involved? Yeah, um, great question. I guess, like, again, if you're in the Bay Area, it's pretty easy because we have an established network of animal rights activists who are meeting up every week and taking action. And so you can just fit right into that framework. Um, if you're not in the Bay Area, um, I don't have as clear and specific advice um, but yeah, one thing I'll say is that like, when I first became an activist, I was totally isolated. Like I didn't know any other animal rights activists and I was like, there, there was no existing framework for me to fit into. And so all I did was basically like watch a lot of animal rights content on YouTube and then like write about like the things I'd learn and post on social media. Um, and I don't think that's the most effective method, but I will say it was like, it really like kind of like built up my identity as an animal rights activist to like publicly and openly say, like, this is what's happening. Here's why it's wrong. And here's how deeply I care. And to just like say that on a pl public platform and be like, no, like this is me. And like, I, like we need to address this. That That was like a really important step for me so yeah I don't know maybe something to consider um, for people if like they feel like they don't have like a network of activists to tap into um, but yeah ideally you want to find ideally I'd say find other people who share your passion and work with them that that's the best advice definitely yeah I, I like that advice though I think it's a, a really like creative way to get involved if you're not in an area where you can find people. I think that's really good advice, so. Well, is there anything you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you? Um, sorry, I'm trying to think here. Um, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I feel like in this interview, I talked a whole lot about animals, um, maybe not a lot about me personally. Um, I'm trying to find an interesting fun fact to share with the audience. Um, if my video was on, I'd show y'all. My sh my shoulders are double jointed, and that's my Ooh. classic party trick. Um, <laughs> Love but, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, otherwise, like, one the main thing I like try to show people. Honestly, I guess everyone listening to this will already be like an animal person. But what I'm always trying to show people is that I'm a normal person because I feel like people <laughs> often have like a perception of animal rights activists. It's like, oh, you're like a angry, like typically like the idea is like an angry, like white woman who works for PETA and like pours blood. I think that's like one of like 
the most common like stereotypes and like images associated with like the animal rights movement and like PETA has very much become analogous with or synonymous with animal rights and like the mind of the public and so what I try and tell people is that I'm normal anyway I don't know if that was the answer you're looking for but that's what came to mind I I think that's great yeah I think that is a really common misconception that that people have and so I think it's good to acknowledge that and I hope that kind of through this podcast that shows people that as well because they get to hear such a diverse range of people so so yeah I that's that's kind of one of my goals of, of the podcast so I think that's really cool cool yeah well thank you so much for joining me today I'm I'm really glad that I, I got to meet you and and hear about all the work you're doing and I'm really excited to to see what you do in the future Yeah, likewise, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.